Well, good morning. For those of you who are new to Living Church, my name is Mark. I'm privileged to be the lead pastor here at Living Church, and I'm thrilled um, that you made the decision to be with us this morning on Easter Sunday. Um, I, can, I can relate in an incredible way to those men in that Lowe's, those Lowe's commercials. Um, I, I, I have an overwhelming sense of inability to do it yourself kinds of things. Um, and so I can relate to the moment of spending all your time and effort into trying to build something or trying to complete something or trying to fix something, and you just kind of stand back and you're hoping it just kind of works, and then it just all falls apart. I mean, you can ask Andrea. It's to the point now in our relationship when I get kind of this, this urge to maybe try to fix something, Andrea will say, no, no, we, we've, we've been there. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. And whether it was a leaky faucet, you know, or, or a leaky pipe under the sink or a toilet or something, I've just learned to just kind of stop and back away and let someone else fix the problem, fix the problem. You know, and if it's a, if it's a broken ceiling fan or a porch swing or maybe some falling shower tiles, it's not a big deal, right? We can head down to the local um, ho- um, Home Depot or the local Lowe's store, and what we can do is we can go to the customer service rep, and we could say, hey, I have a problem. Help me fix this. Or the real simple solution, if you're like me, is you just call somebody and, and have them fix it, or you just go get a new one, right? You just go get something new and have someone else install it, and that's kind of how you fix the problem. But if we're talking more about life, if we're talking about life kinds of things, and instead of shower tiles that are falling or failing, it's our marriages that are failing, Or maybe when you look at your family, what's broken isn't a ceiling fan, but you see broken kids. When it's those kinds of things, it's a different story, isn't it? It's a different story. I mean, we can't just head down to the local Lowe's and fix those kinds of problems. Although we try, sometimes we try and say, I'll just go get a new one. And we try to fix it. Or we try to get some outside help. Or maybe, actually, you look at your life and things are going great. Everything's sticking together. But you know at the end of the day, you're still empty. You know that there's something more. And at the end of the day, you feel a lot like those guys do in that commercial where you just stand there and you go, I need help. I need help. For some of you here this morning, what's falling apart is your marriage. For others of you, what's falling apart is your family. For others of you, what's falling apart is you. You feel like you're falling apart as a parent. Others of you, what's broken is you, you feel like you're broken inside and you keep giving into the addictions, the sexual pornography, whatever it might be, and so you're drowning in guilt and, and it's left you filled with shame. And you just sit there and you go, I need help. I need help. Others of you, you're here and you need help this morning because you crave the attention of men or women, and so you're doing things in your life that you thought or said you would never, ever do, but you're doing them. You're doing them. Others of you, you're here and you need help because you have consumed your life with work, you've consumed your life with things, and so you've invested in all of those things and all this stuff, and what it's done is it's just left you empty. At the end of the day, you just go, I got to have more because what I already have doesn't satisfy. And at the end of the day, you need help as well. 
because you've spent all your time and effort building the life that you thought she wanted or building the life that you thought you wanted and all it has left you is just brokenness. And at the end of the day, we're a lot like those gentlemen and we stand there and we go, we need help. And I confess to you, I need help this morning. Just because I'm a pastor or church leader doesn't mean I'm exempt from pain or struggle or frustration. When I look at the own struggles of my life, when I look at my own sins, when I look at the struggles within my own family, whether it be marriage, kids, church, culture, whatever it may be, sometimes, many times, at the end of the day, I sit back and I just feel exhausted from life. Exhausted. And I just feel like my, my tank is empty. I feel like I'm running on fumes here, God. How can I keep going? How do I live Christ? How do I, how do I continue to be who you've created, to me, to, created me to be when at the end of the day I just feel weary? And so if you're here this morning and you don't follow Jesus or you're here this morning and you do follow Jesus, we both have a problem. And the problem is we both need help. We need help. Whether it's your marriage, your family, your life that's falling apart, or you need to be free from the guilt of your past, whatever it is, we can't head to Lowe's, we can't head to Home Depot. Where does help come from then? Where does help come from then? This morning we begin a series entitled Inside Out. We're going to look at a first century letter written by a first century follower of Jesus written to a group of first century Christians. And inside this letter is an address. An address. And inside this address is hope. Inside this address is help. And so when the tiles of life start to fall, I want you to know this morning that there's hope. There's help. It's not an address that you'll find outside somewhere. No, this address is actually located inside someone. It's inside someone. And let me tell you what's inside this address. When you walk inside the door of this address, what is inside this address is forgiveness, peace, freedom from the guilt and the shame. When you walk in, there's incredible freedom from the bitterness that you carry around with you today. Inside this address, marriages can be restored. Husbands and wives, inside this address, when you walk in, husbands and wives can actually like each other. In fact, inside this address, husbands and wives can actually learn to love one another selflessly. And inside, when you walk inside this address, broken families can thrive. They can thrive. Everlasting forgiveness is there. Peace with God is inside there. Freedom from the guilt of your past. Everything's there that we need for us on the inside. And it's located inside this one address. And this address, this letter that was written in the first century, is known to us as the book of Ephesians. So if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone, I invite you to turn there with me to the book of Ephesians. What's interesting about this letter is that even though it was written nearly 2,000 years ago, the story and the setting to whom it was written is not much different than our, than our own today. It's not much different at all. The author of the letter is the Apostle Paul. And for those who grew up in church, you remember that Paul, that wasn't his first name, or the first name he had, his first name was Saul. But Jesus changed his name. Before he became Paul, Saul was a terrorist. He, he persecuted Christians. He killed Christians. 
And then Jesus changed his life, and so this terrorist, this persecutor of Christians, actually became the very person he once despised. He became a Christian. He became a follower of Jesus Christ, and he became a proclaimer of Christ, all because Jesus transformed his life. And so once Jesus got a hold of Saul, who became then Paul, Paul goes out and starts proclaiming this amazing message of hope and freedom and forgiveness all through Jesus Christ. And so as he proclaims Jesus Christ, he would go from city to city making that proclamation. And there would be times in his life when he would come into a city and right before his very eyes, as he would share the message of hope, as he would lead people inside this address, he would see right in front of his eyes people's lives transformed just like his was transformed. And one of the cities where Paul proclaimed this truth was the city of Ephesus. And for us to really grasp why Paul wrote this letter, why he, we need, why he wrote it is we need to understand a little bit about the city and the setting in which Paul wrote and to whom Paul wrote. Ephesus was a metropolis. It was about 300,000 people. It was known by the Romans at the time as the crown jewel of Asia Minor, found in modern-day Turkey. It was a hub of nationalities, a hub of cultures. Um, it was the Mecca for Artemis worship or the goddess Diana, who was known as the goddess of fertility or the sex goddess. And so Ephesus was the Mecca for the worship of Artemis, which was the leading religion at the time. The temple of Artemis was known as one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Tourists, people from all over the world would come to this city, Ephesus, to worship Artemis, to see the amazing temple. And so you can imagine with all this tourism, all these people coming here to worship, to worship Artemis and who she was and the goddess of which she was, you can imagine how kind of crazy this city would have been. All kinds of booming business with Artemis trinkets and souvenirs, all kinds of wealth and power and abuse of power, all kind of greed, and yes, you can imagine all kind of sexual activity. In fact, historians believe that there were priestesses at the temple of Artemis who would offer themselves um, as prostitutes under the name of religion, under the name of religion. So basically, a young man or man could go down to the temple of Artemis and have sex with a prostitute, come home and say, I just did my religious duty for the day. And we thought we were messed up. That was Ephesus. Ephesus was kind of like a Vegas where what happens in Ephesus stays in Ephesus. Okay, that's kind of, that's the city we're talking about here. All right, sex in the city had nothing on Ephesus. I mean, this is it. Ephesus was here. I mean, this was the place. So Paul walks into this city with his little band of Jesus followers, and he starts proclaiming Christ to them. And what's amazing is he starts telling about Jesus and the hope and the freedom and how Jesus can wash them clean. They start listening. Some of them start listening to this message, and they start responding to Jesus. And some of them have their hearts turned from worshiping Artemis to worshiping Christ. And so this this band of Jesus followers grows and gets larger and larger. And in fact, Paul ends up spending three years in the city of Ephesus teaching and training these new Jesus followers. And so after three years, he leaves. He's got other cities on his preaching tour. So he heads out on the tour and he starts proclaiming Christ in other cities. And so it's five years now since he's been in Ephesus and Paul now is in prison for his belief in Jesus. And so while he's in prison, he gets wind and word that these Jesus followers in Ephesus are struggling. Can you imagine? I mean, trying to be a a follower of Christ in a city like that, 
when you're surrounded by the sexual pressure, the intense pressure, the temptation, people using all kinds of excuses in the name of religion to gratify themselves. Try to have a solid marriage in a culture like that. Try to have a a solid family in a culture like that. The pressures were intense. And it's likely they, like many of us today, were asking questions like, how in the world do I live Christ? How do I follow Christ in a culture and a world like that? That seems so upside down. And so Paul gets wind. He gets word of of the struggle of these Jesus followers in Ephesus. And he writes them a letter, a letter to help them, a letter to encourage them. And we know this letter as the book of Ephesians. And so if you can relate on any level with the Ephesians, if you can relate to them on any level, then we need to listen this morning. And I believe you could summarize this letter that Paul writes to to Ephesus, to the Ephesian Christians this way. I believe what he's going to try to tell them from chapter 1 to chapter 6 is this. Who you are inside Jesus and what you have from being inside Jesus is the fuel you need to live Jesus in a culture that needs him. If that's, that's the big idea that Paul's trying to communicate in this letter, is who you are inside Jesus and what you have from being inside Jesus is the fuel you need to live Jesus in a culture that needs Jesus. That's the big idea of this first century letter that Paul puts together to his struggling friends in Ephesus. And so if you're here and the tiles of your life are falling, whether it be in your marriage, your family, your job, or when they start to fall, listen, there is hope. There is help. And there's fuel for living Christ. And Paul's going to reveal to us in the very first verse the address where hope is found. The address where hope is found. The address for help, for living inside out, he's going to tell us is found inside Jesus Christ. It's found inside Christ. Look at verse 1 of Ephesians 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful inside or in Christ Jesus, Paul starts his letter out, and he he doesn't say, you're blowing it out there, guys. You're absolutely blowing it. He says, no, you are saints. You're saints in Christ Jesus. He goes straight for the identity. He reminds them straight to who they are in Christ. He says, this is who you are now in Christ. You're a saint. You're a saint in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul reminds them that these struggling Christians, their identity is not wrapped up in their former addresses in life. But their, their identity is wrapped up in their current address, where they currently, currently live, and it's inside Jesus Christ. Now, a saint is someone that's been set apart, and it has this idea of taking something or someone that was filthy and, and washing it and making it clean, and so it becomes brand new and useful. So you can imagine if you live in Ephesus, if you're an Ephesus Christian, and you got the temple, you can see it from the view of your home, and you got people going to the temple, you got guys going to the temple, you know why they're going to the temple, and you're trying to be faithful in your marriage, you're trying to be faithful in these things, be a faithful young man, young woman, and, you're trying, like, and you live in this culture, you can imagine the pressure and the intensity that was there. And he says, listen, just because you live in this city doesn't define you. That's not who you are anymore. You're inside Jesus Christ. You are clean. And although you're reminded oftentimes of your past and your guilt, that is not who you are anymore. You are inside Jesus Christ. And when you're inside Christ, you are clean, you are washed, you're brand new, and you're usable. And he says that to the saints in Ephesus. And he reminds them that that's who they are. Well, how did they get this way? How did they become saints? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, if you look at chapter 2, 
verse 1 and following, he says, as for you, and he's writing to them, he's saying, here's what your identity used to be. He's saying, you were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Ephesians 2, verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. What's Paul doing here? He's reminding them of who they used to be. He's saying before you came inside Christ, before you became a saint and lived inside Jesus, you lived in sin. And when you were in sin, you were dead, lacking life. You were a follower of yourself. You gratified yourself. It was all about you. Even though you may put on the guise of it's for other people, your true motivation is so you can get what you want out of it. And that's how you lived. Outside of Christ, inside sin, that's who you are. You're in nature. Uh, You're following your own sin, your own self. And he says you're an object of God's condemnation because you're following you. You're not following Jesus. And he says, that's who you used to be. In fact, that's who all of us used to be. You're under God's condemnation outside of Christ. And that ultimately winds us up in hell because of our own rejection of Christ. And he says, that's who you used to be. He says, it's all past tense. As for you, you were dead in sins. You used to live when you followed. It's all past tense. Verse 3, all of us also lived. But that's not who they are anymore. Even though they may feel like that in the city in which they live, trying to live Christ, feeling dirty and filthy, that's not who they are anymore. You're inside Christ. Well, what happened? How did they transition from being inside sin to inside Christ? We'll continue reading in chapter 2. He says in verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved and rescued and made clean through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by your works, not by religion, not by trying to do good things. No, it's only by his grace so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Look at verse 12 in chapter 2. He says, he reminds them again, before you became a saint, at that time you were separate from Christ. And later on in verse 13, or the latter part of verse 12, he says, you were without hope and without God in the world. And so he's reminding them, he's kind of painting that picture for them again. He says, listen, you guys are saints in Ephesus. You were set apart. Although you were dead in your sin at one point, you were gratifying yourself. You only lived to please yourself. And it was because of that you were an object of God's condemnation. It was because of God, verse 4, God in his love for you came down, sent his son to you, put himself on the cross for you. And when you put faith in Jesus Christ, he transfers you out of sin and puts you inside Jesus Christ. And when you're inside Jesus Christ, you now go from death to life. You go from seated in your own sin to wallowing seated in the glories of heaven. That's how God sees you because of what Jesus did for you. That's his message. That's what he's trying to communicate to these struggling Christians. He's saying, get up out of that. Remember who you really are. You're only looking at your circumstance. You're only looking at the city in which you live. Look at Jesus, he's saying. That's what he's saying. Remember who you are. You're a saint. And he didn't become a saint because of your own goodness, good grief. Absolutely not. You became a saint because of Jesus and what he did for you. And that's what he's trying to get them to see. 
In verse 13, how did all this happen? But now in Christ Jesus of chapter 12, you who were once far away have been brought near. How? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why Good Friday happened. We could never have Sunday without Friday. You couldn't. It's impossible. And you can't go from in sin to inside Christ apart from the blood of Christ on Good Friday. So you transition, you walk out of sin through the blood of Christ on the cross into Jesus. And when you walk into Jesus, you know what happens? Look at what he says in chapter 2. He says you, you're alive with Christ. You may feel dead, but you're alive with Christ. That's who you are. And then he says it's by grace you've been saved and God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. That's who you are. You, you have his riches upon you, he says. He says this, you may look and feel like Ephesus this morning. If you're inside Christ, you may look and feel like Ephesus. You may feel dirty. You may feel filthy from your guilt, from your past, from your, you may feel unclean, unwashable. I mean, you spend enough time living in Ephesus, that's how you're going to feel. So Paul says, wait a second. No, 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 no. You may live there, but that's not where you really live. You're inside Jesus. And then when Christ gets a hold of you, you look like heaven. You look like heaven. That's who you are. You're not defined by your past or the mistakes of your present. You're defined by the blood of the one who has washed you and made you clean. That's what he's trying to do. And so you can imagine if you're an Ephesian Christian and you're reading this letter, you're going, man, I needed that. I needed that. I needed that reminder of who I really am inside Jesus, who I really am. And so when you're inside Jesus, what happens is he gives you a new identity in life. You're a saint, and there's more, he says, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. The word faithful there means trustworthy, means de- dependable. It means unswerving allegiance, not given to running away. If you look at chapter 1, verse 15, Paul reminds them, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I believe what Paul's trying to communicate to these Christians is this. Listen, I know you're struggling. I know it's hard. But because of your faith inside Jesus, through Jesus, you're remaining faithful to Jesus. Just, just keep staying faithful to Jesus. You're faithful in him. You're outside of him. You can't be faithful. You're in him, inside him. You will be faithful. Because of your faith that he's given to you, to follow Jesus. And that's his point. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get them above the filth and the dirt and remind them who they really are in Jesus Christ. It's because of their faith in Jesus that they're living faithfully for Jesus in a culture that needs Jesus. Listen, I have addresses in my past that I am not proud of. All of us do. When I look back on my past, especially my high school years, there are places in my past that I dare not go back and tread mentally. Because I have very bad memories of things that I did of my own choices in my past. And if we're honest with each other, most of us have addresses like that. Do we not? We have past addresses in our life that we're not proud of. And as we start dwelling on those, the guilt, the shame, all of that returns. But because of Christ, we can repent of that, turn from that, and be washed and made clean. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to do. He's saying, listen, you may live in Sin City. You may have indulged in the sins of Sin City, which most of these Ephesian Christians did. But that does not define you when you're inside Jesus. You're not defined by your former addresses. You're defined by the address where you live now inside Christ. And all that Christ is, you are because he has given it to you inside of him. You don't have to be defined by your past, by the sins of your present, or haunted by the things that you've done 
or that you're currently doing. He says, inside Christ, you have a new identity in life. And Jesus says, come inside. Come inside. Come inside me. I'm opening the door for you, and you step inside, and you get forgiveness. You get, you're made clean. You, you have peace. You have grace. Come inside, he says. This past week, our kids were jumping on our trampoline in the backyard, and our tree in the backyard was starting to bloom. And when that started to happen, there were tons of bees in the tree. And so Kay and Azen, one of the neighborhood friends, are on the trampoline, and I'm in the kitchen, and I'm just messing around, doing whatever in the kitchen, and not fixing anything in the kitchen, mind you. But I'm in the kitchen, and I hear this guttural, blood-curdling, I mean, just a scream from Kate in the backyard. I mean, just like, I mean, resonating in my ears. So, you know, I'm coming through the back door and, and see her. And, she, and so Kate, and it's got, our trampoline has the netting. And so Kate and, and Ace, and they're up against the net like this. And they're looking at this tree with these bees buzzing all around. And Kate is just terrified. She's, she's five years old. She's our youngest. She's just terrified. So I come out there. I run out there, you know, and then I unzip the, the, the net door. And I get in there and I grab her. The other girls seem to be fine. I don't know. They didn't want to come out. So they wanted to, you know, fight the bees on their own, whatever. But Kate's just you know, she's just screaming, going crazy. So I grab her, and I hold her tight, and I run inside, and I take her inside. I didn't take her to the neighbor's house. I didn't take her to some stranger's house. I took her inside our house. Why? Because inside our house is where she would have comfort, where help would come. And that's exactly what Paul is doing to these, for these Ephesian Christians. He runs out there. He knows they're struggling, and he grabs them, and he takes them inside. And where does he take them? He takes them back inside Jesus. That's where he takes them. He says, get back in here because in here you'll be reminded of who you really are and what he's done for you. And that's what he's doing. He takes them back home. He takes them back inside Christ. And so when you receive Christ, you receive a new identity in life. And when you're inside Christ, you have a new view of life, a new view of life. I grew up in a town um, called Mount Vernon, Ohio. And it's about 45 minutes north of Columbus. And that's kind of where I grew up, from kindergarten all the way through college. And so I grew up there, a lot of great memories there. And so people ask, well, where did you grow up? I grew up in Mount Vernon. Well, where did you live? You know, a lot of the times we say the city. But I didn't live in Mount Vernon. I mean, I lived in Mount Vernon, but I didn't live inside Mount Vernon. I lived inside that house right there. In fact, you can see the tree to the right. I remember my dad planting that tree, you know, as a kid. And that's the house I lived in. I lived in Mount Vernon, but I lived inside 12 Upland Terrace. 12 Upland Terrace was my home. And so that's exactly what Paul's doing. He's saying to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful inside Christ Jesus. That's, that's what he's trying to communicate here. He's trying to remind them, listen, Ephesus, he gives them two locations, two addresses. One is Ephesus, where you live physically. Inside Christ is where your heart is. That's where you live spiritually. And that little word in when he says, in Ephesus, in Christ Jesus, is so incredibly strong and powerful. It speaks of like location of a sphere, kind of like a goldfish. You know, a goldfish lives inside the bowl, the aquarium, and moves and breathes and lives inside the water and moves around inside that. And in a sense, that's what he's saying. Your identity as a follower of Jesus, inside Jesus, is you move and you breathe and you live inside Jesus Christ. And when you're inside Jesus Christ, you view everything differently. 
You view everything differently. Theologian Roland Barclay said this, what makes the Christian different is that he is always and everywhere conscious of the encircling presence of Jesus Christ. If you were to keep reading chapter one, you would see this phrase, in him, in Christ, repeated multiple times. Why? Because Paul's trying to remind these guys, to remind them they're struggling, they need help, they need encouragement. You're inside Christ. Remember who you are and what Christ did so he could have you inside him. Remember that. Remember who you really are. Your identity is not wrapped up and no longer defined by your former addresses, but it's wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And from inside him, you have a new view of life. You see your marriage differently. You see it from the inside out rather from the outside in. You see your marriage as Christ sees it. You see parenting as Christ sees parenting. You see your job differently because you're seeing it from the perspective of being inside Christ. You see life differently. You see giving differently. You see sacrifice differently because you're inside Jesus Christ. And Paul's trying to remind them. He's saying, listen, when you're inside Christ, you have a new identity in life and you have a new view of life. You have a new view of life. Last weekend, our family went down to Newport on the levee. Many of you are familiar with that. We parked the van in the parking garage and we made our way up the steps and we came onto the main concourse there. And we, you know, kind of stopped there, gathered everybody together. And we looked kind of to our left because we heard some laughing and all this kind of stuff. And, and there to our left were some people, you may not be able to see it very well in the back, but there were some children inside these huge inflatable balls. Maybe you've seen that. They're actually called hamster water balls, all right? And so these kids are in there, and they're just moving around, and they're having fun, and they're trying to run on it, and they get bumped around, and they fall down, but they're completely safe inside the hamster water ball, completely safe. And actually, they're, walking, they're on the water moving around. And so I'm looking at this and thinking about the message and what God's doing to me. I'm like, man, what a beautiful picture of what it looks like to live inside Christ. What a beautiful picture. Yeah, you're going to get bumped around. You're going to fall down. But you know where you fall? Inside. You fall inside Christ. You're inside him. And inside him there's help. There's hope. There's freedom. There's joy. There's forgiveness. There's clean, being clean from your past and from your present. Because when you fall, you fall inside him. You fall inside Christ. And as a follower of Jesus, because of what Christ has done for you, you move and you live and you breathe inside him. Now, some people, what they try to do is they try to put one foot in the hamster water ball. This is relating it to following Christ. And one foot out. Let me tell you, go for it. Try it. It doesn't work that way. You're trying, but it, you're trying to, but you're not fully surrendering. You're not putting yourself all the way inside Christ. You're still kind of trusting yourself a little bit, but fearful, going, well, if I truly trust the one who died for me, I, listen, he died for you. You can trust him. You can trust him with all that you are. Surrender everything to him. Come inside him. And that's what he's saying. Paul's point is to elevate them beyond the location of their home. And remind them of the location of their heart. He's saying, listen, you may live in Ephesus, but that's not how, who you are anymore. You're inside Christ. You're inside Christ. And when you're inside Christ, you see and view everything differently. Well, what about Easter, Mark? What about resurrection? This is Easter Sunday. You should talk about the resurrection. You need to. It's Easter Sunday. Come on. We'll go to chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. 19 and 20. Paul continues his letter to encourage these struggling Ephesians. Pick it up in verse 18 of chapter 1. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened 
in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and this incomparably great power for us who believe. So if you're inside Christ, what he's telling you is you've got a power. There's, there's a power inside Christ. And he's saying, verse 20, or the end of verse 19, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted where? In Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Listen, you want another proof that true help and true hope comes from the inside out? Look at the empty tomb. Look at the empty tomb. The resurrection was an inside job. Total inside job, resurrection. No one came from the outside, knocked on the outside. Jesus, let's go. Come on, we need a couple guys to move this thing. Come on, no. None of that happened. It was total inside job. And when you, when you wonder where does true help come from, help from my heart, soul kind of help, where does that come from? You look to the resurrection. You look to the empty tomb. Because the resurrection is proof that real help for conquering sin, real victory for overcoming the sins of your past, the sins of your present, the guilt, the, the addictions, the temptations, whatever it might be, comes truly first from the inside out through Jesus Christ and what he's done. And that power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave, it's inside Christ. And so when you're inside Christ, that power that Christ has, he gives to you as a spiritual blessing to walk through life in the midst of the struggle. It's yours. Not because you did anything to deserve it or earn it, because he graciously gives it to you inside Christ. Listen, Paul knows that his friends are struggling. So he writes them a letter, a letter to help them. And whether you're here and you follow Jesus or you're here and you don't, we both have a problem. And the problem is we need help. We need hope. And so when the tiles of life start falling, where do you turn? Where do you turn this morning? Where are you turning? Paul reminds us that the address for true help comes from living inside out, which is found living inside Christ. It comes from living inside Christ. And on this Easter Sunday, there are some of you here this morning who you're not inside Christ, you're outside of Christ. And Christ is saying to you, listen, I went to the cross for you. I went to the cross for you. Look at verse 12 and 13, or verse 13 of chapter 1, talking about the Ephesians. He says, you also were included in Christ. You came inside Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And for those of you outside of Christ this morning, this is the invitation to believe Christ, to believe that what he did for you on the cross was for you. And he offers you this invitation to step out of sin, to step out of living in sin, living for self and step into Christ all made possible because of the blood that was shed for you on the cross and so he looks at you and he says come inside come inside me welcome home the doors open he's not going to make you come in but it's repenting of your sin turning from your sin stepping out of that and fully surrendering coming inside to who Christ is and for those of you outside of Christ this morning this is the invitation for you this is the response come inside he says come come inside and for those of us who are inside Christ, and the struggle is very real, he says, you're inside. You're inside. I got this. I got this. I'm your help. I'm here. I'm right here, and I'm not going anywhere. You're inside me. I've got you. You may fall down. It's going to get bumpy. You may not like it. You may get a little seasick a little bit along the way, but I got you. I'm your help. I'm your hope. 
If I died for you so I could have you, you can trust me to take you through the storms, to get you through the struggle. You're inside me, and I love you. Are the tiles of life falling? Are you here this morning and you need help? I mean heart help, soul help. Take joy this morning. Look at the empty tomb. Look at the empty tomb. And as Paul reminds us in his letter to these these Ephesians struggling Christians, he says, come inside. Come inside. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for going to the cross for us. And God, my prayer this morning is that that if there are those here this morning that are outside of Christ, that this morning they would receive and welcome your invitation. They would turn from their sin, step out of sin, step into you, made possible through the cross and through the resurrection. And my prayer is that this morning they would truly come inside. They would surrender everything, all to you, and come inside. And for the Christian this morning, for the follower of Jesus this morning that's struggling, may they too look at the empty tomb and know that true victory, true hope, true help comes from the inside out, found inside Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.